0: Well, as I said earlier, we are celebrating Pentecost. And I read in Acts uh, 2, verses 1 through 3 earlier, if you'd like to look at that later today. You know, Pentecost commemorates the coming of the Holy Spirit on the early followers of Jesus. And you could say that it's the day that the church was started. Today, we're, we're reminded that God is always working for our good through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. And 50 days ago, and just so you know, Pentecost is a transliteration of the Greek word pentecostos, meaning 50. So 50 days ago, we celebrated God's assurance of salvation through our relationship with Jesus Christ. God promises that his word will guide us and that his Holy Spirit will enable us. God never wants us to go through life by ourselves, and so he's planned every minute detail of our life he tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, that's a powerful assurance from God. But, you know, there are times we show our lack of trust in God's promises, and there are times in our lives that we become discouraged. Nothing seems to go right. We have one setback after another and we become disheartened and more depressed. It can get so bad that we can't see any more than a day at a time. And sometimes we can only take that day and go hour by hour. And much like the Israelites who spent 40 years seeking the promised land, we too find ourselves going round and round in circles, making the same mistakes and forgetting God's promises, wondering and wandering in the wilderness and for me it's more like trudging in the wilderness we take a step forward on our journey and maybe a prayer hasn't been answered the way we think it should be so we take two steps back we take uh, another step forward and a chain of events upsetting events uh, takes place and so we take another three steps backwards we want to see God just like we're looking at each other we want to see him and we're driven by our emotions we want to know what God's plans are for us. But Paul tells us in Romans 1.17, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You know, the good news or the gospel is the news of the, of the coming of the kingdom of God. And Christ tells us that in Mark 1.14. It's about Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection to restore our relationship with God. I thought that if I feel like I'm trudging along in the wilderness, there might be others who are having the same feelings. And what better to talk about than a piece of that 40-year journey the Israelites experienced, and that is the rebellion of Korah and the budding of Aaron's staff from, uh, that's found in the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 16 and 17. So let me give you a little background of the story. The leadership of Moses and Aaron is being questioned again, and we read at the beginning of chapter 16 that a man named Korah, who was a Levite and the ringleader of this rebellion, along with three other men, Dathan, Abiram, and An from the tribe of Reuben, have incited a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. They question why Aaron should be high priest and why Moses should have his privileged leadership role as mediator for God. It was easy for Korah to influence the Reubenites because they were his neighbors in the camping order of the Israelites' wilderness journey. And this rebellion included 250 respected leaders of the Jewish Jewish camp. And on hearing the accusations, Moses immediately asked God for his guidance, and Moses tells Korah and his followers, to prepare for the next day as God would show them whom he considered worthy to serve him as priests. Each one would use a censer or a container to offer incense before God. Moses tries to warn Korah and the Reubenites to be careful of their need for personal honor, and none of the men would listen to Moses, and his pleading was ignored. The next morning, and we read this in Numbers 16, 28-29, And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you'll know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. Well, as Moses finished saying this to the Israelites, the earth opens up and swallows Korah and his associates and his families and their belongings. They perished by being buried alive. And the next instant, a fire from heaven devours the 250 men who had contested Aaron's priestly authority by offering the incense. So I want you to take just a moment and think about that event. Think about what happened, all the people being... um, buried alive and and all the fire coming down from heaven, because after all that, in fact, the next day, the Israelite community was still complaining about Moses and Aaron and saying that they had caused the death of those leaders in their community. So God sent sent a plague that killed another 14,700 rebellious people. And that brings us to Numbers chapter 17, the budding of Aaron's staff. In order to prove the authority of Aaron as high priest, God commanded Moses to have each tribe, 12 in all, bring one staff inscribed with its leader's name to Moses. The tribe of Levi was to bear the name of Aaron. Moses would place the staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the the covenant, and the favored staff, the one God chose, would blossom. Well, when I finished reading that story, I just shook my head, wondering why the Israelites seemed to have to learn every lesson the hard way. Why was it so hard for them to submit to God? Instead of letting their emotions rule their hearts, why didn't they let God be the authority in their life? Did anybody else wonder that? (laughs) Well, do you see what I did there? (laughs) Um, There's those emotions I talked about again. I got a little judgy. (laughs) I forgot about how I'm trudging through the wilderness journey and couldn't see how much I'm like them because of the log in my eye. You can read that in Matthew 7, 5. So I went back and I read and and thought about God, uh, what God was telling me through these chapters. And so let me share four of the lessons um, that I learned. So lesson one, God reveals himself through his word it's in reading the Bible that we get to know God's identity his character and his purpose for us for redeeming us and sanctifying us when we are trudging along through life we sometimes forget to turn to God's word for advice and for comfort if we're willing to set aside our own emotions or our own preconceptions we learn valuable lessons from the experiences of the people God has called to serve and some of those lessons are warnings Korah, who initially incited the Israelites, was a wealthy Levite. And in fact, he was a close relative of Moses. He was probably a first cousin. He was a respected leader. And in Numbers 3, uh, verses 28 through 31, as a Levite, he was employed in the service of the tabernacle and his clan, the Kohatites, were responsible. They were honored with the care of the sanctuary, specifically for the care of the ark, the holy ark, Um, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles uh, that they used for ministering, uh, the curtain, everything related to their use. I see a man who God has blessed abundantly, but it wasn't enough for Korah. He felt, and there's those emotions again, that he had been overlooked in the dispersal of the high priest honors, and he was jealous of the leadership that had been bestowed on Aaron's family. And so here's our second lesson. God sees our hearts. Korah feigned piety and justice and pretended to be a champion of the Israelites as he accused Moses and Aaron of inflicting their leadership on the Israelite community, when what he wanted was more power for himself. Korah was arrogant, he was self-promoting, and his words were blasphemous. Moses realized it, and he immediately fell face down on the ground to humble himself before the Lord in the face of judgment." Moses understood that God was in charge, that one of the things, the covenant, that had been made early on in their sojourn to the promised land was based on God's mercy for all those who loved him and obeyed his commandments. Exodus 26 tells us one of God's promises, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And here's the rub. Korah wasn't just questioning God's appointed leaders. He was questioning God's ultimate authority. And don't we do that sometimes, trying to take control and do it ourselves? I know I do all the time. Unfortunately, Korah had broken at least one of the commandments, and that was he placed another god, small g, above Yahweh, capital G. He coveted what Aaron had, and God could see Korah's heart. God knew Korah had other motives than love for him and love for others. And it's during the times of adversity that a true leader shows strength and commitment for their community. If you read Numbers 16 and 17, you'll see Moses reminded Korah that it was no small thing for God had chosen him, had chosen Korah and the Levites for a special ministry to serve the Lord in his tabernacle. And when God threatened to destroy the entire community, Moses fell face down and interceded. He prayed, to narrow the lord's judgment down to those who were guilty of this particular rebellion and here's our third lesson god sends us leaders and friends to help us on our journey you know as i read the story i felt there was a loneliness throughout the Israelites more like an isolation and not in the sense of maybe someone living alone in their home or a person stranded in their car during a snowstorm more like that feeling you get that lonely even when you're you're not alone like you're in a big group but you still feel lonely there were about 600,000 men, and if you include the women and children I read that there could have been anywhere from 1.5 to 2.5 million people in this community during this 40-year sojourn in the wilderness of Sinai. They lived in close quarters. They lived in tents with thin walls. You know, Zephon knew what Haggai was having for supper. And then Elon knew that Zerah's wife had given him what for for not fixing the wheel on their cart. Everyone knew everybody's business. However, they were isolated as a people in a sense that they couldn't get food or water easily. The weather conditions could be extreme they felt and there are those emotions again abandoned instead of trusting God they wondered where God was in all of these events well the thing is God knew that this would be a challenging period for the Israelites and so he had prepared Moses to be Israel's deliverer we see God's plan and management of Moses's life through Moses's birth which you can read in Exodus 2 1 through 10 and if you'll remember Uh, during this time, around the time Moses was born, Pharaoh had become concerned about the number of Israelites that were there in Egypt. He was afraid that they would overtake them, and so he decreed that the firstborn Hebrew sons would be thrown into the Nile River. Well, Jochebed, who was Moses' mother, um, hid Moses for about three months, Uh, And then when she could hide him no longer, she made the little basket, and she waterproofed it and put Moses in the basket and put him in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him and adopted him. And so we see God's plan because there Moses received an education. He received administrative and military um, training, those things that people need when they they lead a large group of people. And then we see it... um, in Exodus 2, through 15 where Moses sees the plight of the Hebrew people and he steps up to deliver them. Now he did try to save a Hebrew slave and in his attempt he kills the Egyptian master. Now I don't think that's what God wanted. Um, it was a very shaky first start. It was a, probably a failed attempt um, because he did it in his own timing and in his own strength. But it did show Moses' concern for the oppressed Hebrews. It showed his courage, and it did show his decisiveness. And then in Exodus 2, 16 through 25, through his help to Jethro's daughters, we again see his concern for the oppressed. You know, God knew that Moses would be able to meet the challenges, and so about 40 years later, I would say, uh, Moses might have been maybe, what, 80? At that that point, uh, God felt that it was time, and so God calls Moses to rescue his people. And although Moses is hesitant, God pairs him up with his older brother. So God does the same thing for us. God prepares us, and when he uses us for his work, he gives us everything we need, including the people in our lives. I have to say, as I prepared for this, I got a little worried about someone running my slides for this morning. And my husband was kind enough to offer, even though he didn't know anything about the system, so he trained on it and learned, and so God put him right where he needed to be for me, so yay! he's a good man <laughs> you know he created us to have relationships so that we would be able to build one another up for his glory and even when uh, uh, when he created Adam God said in Genesis 2:18, it's not good for the man to be alone I'll make a helper who is just right for him God places people in our lives sometimes for a moment sometimes for a season sometimes for a lifetime and if He, if God is our primary focus, we can see them for who they are and that they are here to support us physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually. I really like this quote from Oswald Chambers Beware of isolation. Beware of the idea that you have to develop a holy life alone. It's impossible to develop a holy life alone. You'll develop into an oddity or a peculiarism, into something utterly unlike what God wants you to be. The only way to develop spiritually is to go into the society of God's own children, and you'll soon find how God alters your set. God does not contradict our social in- instincts. He alters them. I wouldn't have known anything about Oswald Chambers if it had not been for Lawrence Case, and I think of, of um, what an impact he made on my life, my spiritual life. And so I, think, I thought of him as I wrote this. You know, God knows our human emotions get in the way of our relationship with him. And that's why he sends us godly leaders and godly friends to journey with us. And a few of the reasons we know he sent them is that they encourage us to be humble. They encourage us to make a conscious effort to direct our hearts towards God. They encourage us to avoid things that get in the way of our relationship with God. And then they encourage us to seek God daily through reading his word and through prayer. You know, God understands our need for help on, journey, on our journey in the wilderness because God is an encourager. Moses spent 40 years in the desert leading people who became discouraged, which in turn led them to grumbling and complaining and disobeying God. He had to be an encourager for Moses. Time and again, God would encourage Moses, and even in the Israelites' disobedience, he continued to provide for them like when he sent manna when they were were hungry, or when he gave them water from the rock at Meribah when they were thirsty. And in number 17, so that the Israelites knew that Moses was God's chosen leader and Aaron his chosen priest, God proposes another trial, which I talked about earlier, and it's referred to as the budding of Aaron's staff. Moses places those 12 staffs, one from each tribe, in the tabernacle. Remember, um, these staffs were only hard enough to use long after it had been cut off from the tree and allowed to dry. So that some of these were pretty old. I read that they would be passed down generation to generation, from leader to leader. So some of these staffs were pretty old and probably well past being able to grow fruit or anything like that. Um, however, it says in verse 8 of this chapter, when he, when Moses, went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. God does this miracle to reinforce the lessons from the previous chapter to remind the Israelites of his authority, but I also believe God does it to encourage Moses to remind him that he hasn't left him. And as I close, I want to remind you that our promised land journey, our wilderness journey, like the Israelites, is about sojourning to the place where we can see our true spiritual condition and, allow, and allowing God to reveal himself to us through his word and trusting him with our hearts. It's about always moving forward in faith, no matter what our circumstances. Earlier, I talked about how God sees our hearts, and sometimes our hearts are burdened. We feel miserable and, and lost. And before we get to feeling disgruntled and angry like some of the Israelites, we must remember that God wants us to turn to him for comfort. And that's why it's so important to read his word and talk with him daily and to turn to the people he has placed in our lives. (laughs) You know, God doesn't want us to trudge on our journey. He wants us to soar. He wants us to skip. Do you remember that feeling of skipping when we were kids, that feeling of being free? And for some of us, he wants us to gallop. I don't know if I'd do that, but... I probably should try. <laughs> the good news is we don't have to journey alone. And in Philippians 2 1 and 2, and this is our, our memory verse or our focus verse this week, so if we can read that together. Philippians 2 1 and 2, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. You know, the main point being belonging to Christ. Uh, Like Aaron was God's chosen high priest for the Israelites, Jesus is our high priest, in Hebrews 7, we read that he lives forever and is able to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. Will you pray with me? As we bow our heads, I want you to remember that God sent his only son, Jesus, for us. He loved us so much, and we are all worthy of God's grace. And if you would like to commit your life to Christ, you can silently pray this prayer with me. Almighty God, I need you. I've been living for myself, and that is wrong. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I choose you. I no longer want to wander aimlessly in the wilderness. I acknowledge the completed work of your Son, Jesus Christ, in giving his life for me on the cross. And I want to receive the forgiveness you have made freely available to me through his sacrifice. Come into my life now and dwell in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.